Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. My name is Dean Jones, and I'm your host. This is Season 7, Episode 18. Today, we're very lucky to have on our program, all the way from London, England, Angela Clutton, who is um, a writer and um, a spokesperson for Borough Market in London, and also a recipe developer for them. She is also host of the popular Borough Market Cookbook Club podcast. Uh, check that out on all major um, services such as Spotify, Anchor, etc. Um, we will also provide links to the uh, podcast in the bio. Um, she has a book out called Vinegar Covered, which I can't talk enough about. And um, it's just really a wonderful book that she's published in 2019 and really knocked my socks off uh, with his information on science behind vinegar, how it works, what it is, uh, how it's been used in culture and society and history and more. Um, she's been on TV quite a bit on Channel 5's recent Inside series and episodes of the featured food historian for Channel 5's The Bone Detectives and BBC's Inside the Christmas Factory and BBC's Rip Off Britain Food. She writes for the Borough Market, for whom she's also a recipe developer, demonstrator, cook, and a host of the popular Borough Market Cookbook Club. She also has the host of the Borough Talks digital events podcast series on food and food culture we just mentioned. Um, we're going to have links to all this on the bio. You want to check that out, as well as um, you could purchase her book, The Vinegar Covered, on the links as well, uh, that I just, we talk about a lot in the interview, but I really want to recommend it so much because, you know, just simple things like, vinegar being included in soda bread, which adds a lot of flavor to it, as well as complex things on how to cook with it, with meat and fruit and different types of vegetables. And it's just a really wonderful cookbook. So that being said, we want to go ahead and go to my interview with Angela Clutton. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm speaking with author, broadcaster, and award-winning writer, Angela Clutton. Her recent book, The Vinegar Cupboard, has won several awards, not the least of which is the Jane Gregson Trust Award. She hosts the lovely and informative podcast, Burrow Talks, of which I'm a recent fan. Angela, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to talk to you, Dean. Now, for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, can you just give a little, little bit about yourself? Um, I can, although I think you've given it a pretty good go. <laughs> um, I, I live in London. Um, and I'm a food writer, as you say, so I have uh, one published cookbook and I have news actually on um, a next book, which is exciting. Um, uh -huh. I, well, yeah, it is exciting. Um, I, is it, yeah, so I write about food. I do a little bit of broadcast work. I do the podcast. As, as you mentioned, I do a lot of work with Borough Market. Um, and I, as I say, I, you know, I, I live in London, North London, for anyone who you know knows London pretty well, me and my husband, and um, I feel very, very lucky to be a food writer and actually love what I do. Any of us, I think, who can say that we enjoy our work are truly, truly blessed, because really not everyone has that. Now, you work as a writer and food historian, and we've had a few wonderful food historians on, on the guests, and I always love talking to them, because food history really is something I really get excited about. But where did this begin with you? How did you get your interest in food history? Did this start when you were young? Uh, I was always very interested in history and I did classics at university. So that was a big, you know, obviously an indicator of how I have always been very interested in 
different civilizations and what makes them tick really and what makes most of us tick in some way is food and so I think it was a an interest in history and civilization which I'd always had which then when I started to kind of work in food those two things came together as being a very natural fit and it's about what food tells you about people place and time and I think food can be a lens into those things in a way that almost nothing else can in quite the same way because obviously food affects us all the having and the not having so it's uh something which which came very naturally it was a real evolution for me now your uh curriculum vitae is very very um impressive you've written for many publications including the daily telegraph the independent and country life and you have a regular column for borough market for which you are also a recipe writer when did the writing begin for you when did you decide to kind of pursue that so this is very much second career for me so i am in my mid 40s and i have been working in food probably a dozen or so years so before working in food and, and indeed before writing i worked in theater i was a theater producer for a long time um i did shows in the west end and touring around the uk and uh, even was lucky enough to do a show on broadway so theater was very much my life and my focus um until I kind of fell out of love with it and got very burnt out and it's as any of you listeners will know who work in theatre it's it's a real way of life you know it, it's, a, it's like such a culture of it takes over your life in a way and I just sort of reached the point of thinking I've loved it am I really going to do this for the next 20 years probably not so I I took a break and I so I just sort of stopped I had nothing to go to and um was a bit of a poor as a church mouse for a little bit while I worked out exactly what I was going to do because I didn't really have a plan but I knew unless I took a jump I probably wasn't going to actually do something I'd sort of stay in the safe ground of doing what I was doing so I took a break and the food and the writing just kind of happened it's a funny thing I have always been interested in English and English literature and writing so that came first before the food. I was never really a great cook. Um, my friends at university would laugh that I lived off microwave jacket potatoes and baked beans. You know, I was really not a cook. And so for me now to write cookbooks is kind of bonkers. But, it, but that came after the writing and it just sort of all just all came together really my interest in language my interest in history as I've just been talking about and then getting more and more into cooking just just happened that's such a vague answer isn't it that say it just sort of happened but it kind of kind of did it's so hard to believe that you were not like really cooking for, you know earlier and that you because like you when you read your stuff you I mean you really it's impressive like it's not simple stuff it's not like some yeah, you know, I've seen writers who are food writers that kind of throw off some stuff and it's like, uh, you know, whatever, you know, and but I, I don't feel that with you at all. It's like really impressive work. Well, once, just... oh, that's really kind. Once I you know, sort of decided this is something I wanted to pursue, then I really kind of you know, went for it and really immersed myself in teaching myself, you know, properly how to cook. But I'm very much a home cook rather than a trained chef. And I grew up with good food. I didn't learn how to cook, my mom, but my mum, you know, she cooked you know a fresh meal for the family every night um which is extraordinary 
privilege to kind of grow up in that way. So I grew up with an awareness of how important nurturing through food can be. It's just that I didn't actually learn to do it at that point. I mean, I, I really, um, I want to talk about the vinegar cupboard because I had, I, had re I had actually, you know, purchased it recently and I really dug into it. My wife will tell you that um, I've been reading it like every night for like a week and kind of just going over it because there's a lot there that's so fascinating. It's not just a cookbook where, you know, you have some recipes. It's got a lot to it. There's, there's a lot on history. There's a lot on science and how vinegar works. There's a lot about what exactly vinegar is, which, you know, you think would be a simple question because we see vinegar, we take it for granted. Was that kind of a sense in your mind when you wrote the book, when you decided to write it? I think you've just put your finger on it, Dean. That idea that we take vinegar for granted was very much the starting point of why I wanted to do it, really. I think you know, we all think of vinegar as being so ordinary. And actually, it's completely extraordinary. And what it can do to your food and your cooking is quite extraordinary. But I, I sort of had this, as I just explained, I sort of started to kind of teach myself about food. And so in, through doing that, I built an awareness of the role of acidity in building flavour and bringing flavours together. And then it just sort of started to occur to me that that's something which people don't really think about a lot. You know, when we think about seasoning a dish, salt tends to be what we all go for. If you taste it, it's not quite right, you go for the salt. And, that, you know, and salt is obviously brilliant and does a very important job. But acidity is something which I think is very, very underrated. And you know, squeeze of lemon, it's great. Splash of wine, great. But vinegar and the range of the different kinds of vinegars are such an important tool to have. And I think really, really underrated. And I started as I was getting more and more into cooking and was writing recipes and doing uh, things. I, the book's called The Vinegar Cupboard because I genuinely have a cupboard of vinegars. You know, I live in a tiny, tiny London flat, tiny kitchen. You, know, you open the cupboard and baking tins fall out because there's no space in it. <laughs> except you know, the vinegars kind of you know relax in this cupboard where you know more space than anything else has and that that was a very real thing of me sort of starting to try different kinds of vinegars and wanting to see what they did to my cooking and so that was where the name of the book came from and as I was getting more and more of them I did just really think well I think people need to know more about this and certainly in the UK, the books that have been about vinegar, to which I mean no disrespect to any of them, they're just doing a very different job. They were either olive oil and vinegar, of which vinegar was very much the second partner, and so treated in a very, very superficial way in terms of the book. All those books that kind of say how to clean your windows with it, which again is great, but just not what I wanted to do. I wanted to explore the global heritage of vinegar and what it tells you again about people, place and time, people to understand about different vinegar cultures, I suppose, and to really kind of think about what different vinegars can do in your cooking. So all of that became this book that I became incredibly committed to doing, even though almost every publisher in London turned me down. What excited me the most about the book was there was so much in there about vinegar that was exciting and new to me. And I really, I don't think anybody would get this book and pick it up and go, oh yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And like, they would like be stopping a lot going, oh, hold on a minute. And they would want to start reading. What was the, 
it really kind of gets me to want to ask you, what was this research like for you? And was it exciting? Was it kind of blowing your mind when you're finding out all these new things? Oh, I loved it. I loved doing the research. And again, that kind of goes back to this like kind of you know, nerdy historian bit of it, of really kind of, you know, delving into all that and discovering about, uh, you know, Japanese vinegars and Chinese vinegars and wine vinegar and really, you know, just being able to relish discovering all of that but then of course you have the tussle of how to try and translate all of this research into something which is kind of readable not overwhelming in being too much information and so you kind of have the fun research bit and then you look back and go oh okay so now I know all this how do I turn it into something which you know it's Dean in, you know, seeing it in America is going to find in any way interesting to read and so that once you've done the research that that's the challenge really. Now I want to go back to a question that you asked in the book in the beginning. What is vinegar? What is vinegar? Uh, so vinegar is well there's so many different answers to that I suppose there's different yeah. kind of levels of the yeah, question. Yeah. You know, what, is, what is vinegar? You know, vinegar is this wonderful way of you know, having a natural preservative um, before anyone was you know, able to kind of manufacture anything. Vinegar just happens naturally. And so the what is vinegar in that sense is it is the end result of any sugar rich produce. So that could be grapes, it could be rice, it could be tomatoes, uh, anything which is sugar rich has got the potential to be turned into alcohol. Those sugars become an alcohol, you fermenting obviously, and then you ferment them one more time and then the alcohol becomes vinegar. So you know, if you have a bottle of wine that you leave open on the side you know, for too long, it goes a bit vinegary because it is actually doing this natural process of turning into vinegar. And so that's true, you know, not just for things like wine and cider, because they have already done the initial stage. If you go back a bit and you have the grapes, you have the apples, plums, you know, pears, potatoes, you know, asparagus, anything which is sugar rich can, in theory and in actuality, be double fermented into vinegar. I wanted to ask you because, you know, as, as I already said, you know, we take this for granted. I go and buy vinegar regularly. We don't really think much about it. I buy a gallon of it at a time. What kind of, of vinegar different types. do you tend to buy? Do? So we, I buy, if I'm doing... Um, a certain type of pickles, I'll use, um, I'll get like a gallon of uh, just what is called white vinegar. Yeah. Um, and then I'll buy, I, I buy a lot of cider vinegar. I use it a lot. And then I'll buy balsamic or red wine for pickling sometimes too, depending on what it is or for dressings and stuff. And then I'll get black vinegar for some Chinese dishes or to have as a condiment with Chinese dishes. But mostly I would say like the biggest household thing we buy is like the big jugs of uh, cider vinegar yeah yeah uh, well it sounds like you have you know a lot of vinegar being sold around where you are which is maybe great no there's it's nice because there's all these places where i can get different types like there's one that's hard to find that i love it's pineapple vinegar and i Ooh, use it for yeah. cooking pork and stuff or making like curtado which is something i make with um with certain dishes but I, I just like it has an importance because it was such an essential survival tool, wasn't it, for many cultures? Like it was yeah. really important to preserve foods. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah completely correct. Yeah, long before any idea of fridges and things, you know, you have this natural preservative, which naturally occurs. You don't have to do anything. We, we do now. 
you know, to kind of make it fast or make it in large quantities or to make it have certain flavor profiles. But broadly, you don't have to do anything to it. And that, you know, is a huge asset and really speaks to why vinegar is so widespread. At the beginning of the book, there's a map which shows the vinegars all over the world. And it's pretty much all over the world. You look at that world map and you kind of go, oh my God, it really, really is everywhere. You know, weirdly, the only place I wasn't able to discover much vinegar culture, well, not weirdly, it was just interestingly, um, was Russia. That there's not much of a vinegar culture there. They kind of they, they tend to preserve and ferment in a different way. Um, oh, yeah. But other than that, yeah, you know, the map was really Africa, all yeah. the Americas, you know, Asia, you know, really, really widespread and absolutely fascinating. Now, This episode is sponsored by Culinary Historians of Northern California, a Bay Area educational group dedicated to the study of food, drink, and culture in human history. To learn more about this organization and their work, please visit their website at www.chnorcal.org. I was surprised because um, the, the section on sauces was very impressive. and. It really had me get a hankering to try some of these sauces and, and get because I'm always kind of terrified of them, but it made me seem very it seemed very inviting for it. But I was surprised at how many common sauces that are used in restaurants have vinegar in them. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I love sauces. And I think sauces are one of those things that need a bit of demystifying. I think we all get a bit carried away by Hollandaise, Bechamel, Blute. Yeah. You know, all these words are going to make a blute. And, you know, it's, these things are really so simple. It's partly, you know, the French mother sources have given this impression of them being quite difficult, they're being artistry to them. And, and that's partly what the French you know, wanted people to think. But they're really, really simple. And a lot of them, so you know, the ones I'm talking about in, in that last sentence, about mainly these French mother sources, they're quite buttery, quite creamy completely fabulous because they're buttery and creamy but what the vinegar does is cut through all that and one of the great roles of the vinegar generally is able to kind of cut through richness and so if you had uh, a mayonnaise I, I would love making mayonnaise and I, I'm on a mission to kind of get everyone to want to make their own mayonnaise rather than just buy mayonnaise because they're completely different things really we still buy mayonnaise if you want to but make your own as well because it's kind of completely different but imagine mayonnaise without vinegar it would just be really cloying and thick and fatty and not in a good way but you get the vinegar running through it and suddenly it's luscious rather than just fatty and also it can do its job of working with other ingredients because for all sauces not just the buttery creamy ones what the vinegar does is bring flavors together that's why it's so great in a salad dressing but if you're just you know deglazing a pan you're having cooked some steaks or you know, some duck breasts or something, take them out, put a splash of vinegar in, make a very kind of quick sauce and juices left behind the pan. And what the vinegar is going to do is just bring all the flavours together. And that is one of its huge roles. So I think sauce is something which I would love people to get a little bit more comfortable with making. It, you know, you really reminded me of something, how it interacts with fatty foods. There's a restaurant I love in San Francisco that basically is the opposite of a vegetarian restaurant. It's a Chinese restaurant that serves almost all meat. And a lot of them are really fatty things like duck and uh, you know chicken, chicken that's kind of like fatty and like you know pork that is fatty. And 
they always have on every table in the restaurant this lazy susan with like black vinegar white vinegar with chilies different types of vinegars to kind of like be using as like a condiment with it and I think like in a lot of recipes, I feel like it's used in the same way, like chicken adobo, things like that. It's always kind of used to kind of cut back on the fattiness of the food. Do you, you wrote about that some in your book a little bit. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think you know, that's it really, that it does just really cut through the, the fat because there's, otherwise there's only so much of that you can eat. Yeah. And so it's about, it's about layering flavors and you know, layering different as aspects of what makes something delicious. And the acidity of vinegar, it's really important in that. And I, but I think what's also really important is that it's not just acidity, because otherwise it would be too harsh. You right. know, what you're getting with Chinese vinegars or the balsamics or sherry vinegar, you're getting so much else. It's not just acidity. You're getting these lovely rounded kind of flavor profiles backing it up and they all play a part. And that's why I think it's really interesting looking at wine vinegars, which are associated with a particular grape so rather than just red wine vinegar think about you know a merlot vinegar because that's going to come with all the things that we all you know may know about merlot or rioja or cabernet you know it will come with those flavor profiles and therefore be really interesting to use like champagne vinegar is fabulous and it it speaks of the champagne grape or the champagne wine rather it comes from and you would use it in a, in a very light touch way, in the way that you might drink champagne with seafood or something very kind of light and summery. So it's not just about the acidity of the vinegar, it's really thinking about what the different styles are and therefore how they can bring the best out of your food. I wanted to ask you um, about the honors that you won for the book. The book was nominated and won several prestigious honors. Did you think that you would happen, this was happen to the book when you wrote it? No, obviously not. I mean, you just, you know, you write it just wanting to do something that you're proud of. I want to do something that was uh, a bit of a statement, you know, because there hadn't been another vinegar book like it in such depth in the culinary sense. There've been really lovely books, often American actually, about making vinegars, but this is very much not about making vinegar really. It's about sourcing and about the, you know, the, the global enjoyment of vinegars. Um, so I wanted to do something that was gonna be quite a serious book and quite a make, you know, a bit of a mark, but I didn't for a second, you know, I'd never done a book before. So I didn't for a second think that, you know, it was gonna win all these lovely awards, but obviously, you know, completely gorgeous when, when it did. I want to um, shift the focus to talk this because I've been kind of waiting to talk to you about this because I really get excited about this topic. Um, I really love the work you do with the borough market and I was listening to the podcast. Um, you had a talk with Sheila Dillon and Alex Renton on a recent episode and I was listening to it and I, I forget about it whenever I um, listen to it there's always this intro bit in the, in the beginning where you can hear like the hawkers in the uh, market talking and it always makes the hairs in the back of my neck rise up a little bit and I've never been there but it gets me excited. I'm like, I, wanna, I feel like a dog chasing after a fox or something like that. I, wanna, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. So it's always, so it just, it's a wonderful podcast and I really love it. So let's talk about your work with Borough Market and cause you're, you're, you're not only the host of the podcast, but you do a lot of writing for them on their blog, you write recipes for them. How did, how did you start working with Borough Market? 
Um, thank you for all that, Dean. And I'm really, really delighted that you enjoy listening to the podcast. Um, yeah, we try and get a nice mix of traders from the market talking about what they do, but also you know, wider food industry figures like Sheila Dillon, who you just mentioned on the episode of Alex Renton. And we do, it's really lovely that you say that because we try really hard to give a sense of the market because you want to do it for an audience who you know, maybe in London and who go, but also you want to kind of stretch out to people who maybe have never been, although you are going to come, Dean, and when you come, I'm going to yes. walk around with yes. you and we're yes. going to do it. <laughs> I want, I look forward to that. That's going to be so wonderful. Um, but yeah, we do want to kind of have, because Borough Market is such an iconic place. So we do want to get that sense out about it. But I've been working with Borough for just about six years, a little bit more. Um, it was complete fluke that I got into working with Borough. So this is gonna, this is this is one of those stories which is sort of testament to the power of don't be scared to go anywhere and do anything. So I was invited to an award ceremony, which I was very new in working in food, and I was really nervous about going. I sort of didn't want to go. And I would, I would much rather stay at home in my pyjamas and just you know, not have to do the thing of like chatting to people and all of that. Because it's quite, I find that quite nerve wracking. Anyway, I sort of made myself go because I knew it would be good to do it. And I did get chatting to someone there. And she mentioned that she had been um, offered the possibility of doing a cookbook club with Borough Market. Which, which to me sounded just fabulous, but she was saying that she didn't really fancy it. And so I, you know, asked her permission. I did follow up by definitely asking her permission, saying, you know, if you really don't fancy it, I kind of, I can see how that would work. You know, would you mind if I had a go at seeing if I could make that work? And this, you know, I find food writing, you probably feel this as well, Dean, from all the yes. conversations you've had. Food writing is a very generous community. Yes, absolutely. People support each other. They want to help each other, make space for each other. I re I feel that so strongly in a way that in theatre, I did. For me, that wasn't how theatre rolled. I'm sure there's aspects of theatre that are like that. The bit that I was in didn't feel that way for me. Whereas food has always felt very, very embracing. And so this wonderful food writer, um, very generously said, "No, no, I really, really, actually don't fancy doing it. But if you do," see if you wow. can make it work and so I did and so then to be honest I've never really looked back with Borough it was just one of those things that was meant to be we started the cookbook club six years ago it is absolute joy we have a wonderful community who take part um, we you know, do events where people bring we choose a cookbook people bring along something they've made from the cookbook and then we all talk about how how, how we all felt about it and it's a really, really generous, positive, joyous community. And I love doing it. Um, and then that evolved. And, I, and then I fell head over heels in love with Borough Market, generally. Um, and that evolved into doing some writing for them and hosting cooking sessions in the market and doing the podcast. And then drum roll, drum roll. My news is that I'm doing a book for Borough Market. Oh, tell us about the book, please. Oh, yeah, it's so exciting, Dean. Right, I've not talked to any, this is the first time other than with the team I've talked about this. Um, so it comes out in the UK in October. I oh, believe wow. it comes out in the States in January 23, I think. 
Oh, wow. October 22 in the UK, January 23, I think, in the States. And it, yeah, so we're just in the final stages of putting it together. Um, it is called, it's called Borough Market, The Knowledge. Um, and it's very much focused on the traders and their knowledge and their skills and their expertise. So we have sections that relate to the different kinds of traders. So we have a section on butchers, fishmongers, dairy, bakery, more, where traders give us their insights into the food that they sell, the provenance of it, skills around using it, um, seasonality, heritage. Um, and then I have done 80 or so recipes which come out of those conversations with the traders and really kind of showcase the produce and what people what people can do with it. That sounds really wonderful. Oh my God, I can't wait to see that book. That's going to be really cool. <laughs> it's cool. You know, I have to say, it's going pretty well. You know, we're, we're in the final, final, final stage, it's been. We, we, in theory, go to print on Friday. I was talking to you on Monday afternoon in the UK. In theory, we go to print on Friday. Oh my God, I can't wait to see that. That's going to be really great. <laughs> so yeah, it's really, really, really exciting to be doing that. And it feels like a really lovely coming together of my work with Borough and that connection with the Borough Market community and the wider community that feel an affinity with Borough Market. So it, it's very exciting to be working on. It's going to really be great. I'm looking forward to kind of maybe we, hopefully we can have you back on the show and yes. have you talk about the book. Maybe have a few other writers on there, people on there. Yeah, I'm saying, or Dean, when you come to the UK and you come to Borough Market, we can do it from there. I like it. I like that idea. I'd love to do that. That'd be wonderful. But yeah, no, I'd love to talk to you about it when it's out. What authors inspire you um, that you like to read? I know that's kind of a hard question and um, it's kind of a lot to throw. It's like asking somebody what their favorite child is, but who are some of the writers that you like to read? I sort of look around my desk, which is a bit piled up at the moment, and I have a lot of Jane Grigson, um, which having won the Jane Grigson Trust Award sort of feels like I have to say that, but that's not really <laughs> it at all. I feel a great affinity with her work. You know, she was very much about wanting to demystify things and she has wonderful books about vegetables and fruits and mushrooms and bread. And she was very, she's very detailed in a way that I would like my work to be as well. So Jane Grigson for sure, um, but that's kind of going back a bit. She was in her sixties, seventies writer modern writers gosh you're so many do you know rachel roddy do you know rachel roddy dean i don't i'm gonna look that name up look her up okay so there's a wonderful um british lady called rachel roddy who lives in italy she's in rome oh nice and, oh gosh she now she's a writer she has done i think i think i'm right in saying three cookbooks and she writes for the guardian and she's one of those writers who you're just there with her or she's with you in your kitchen. She has the most gorgeous way with words and, I, and, and her recipes are fab as well. So I really, really love Rachel Roddy's work. Um, and yeah, and Nigel Slater and, you know, and lots of you know, the big British writers and they were all brilliant. But I like, I like someone who I can not just cook from. I like someone that I can read. I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it when they, you know, they delve into the text and stuff. I know I just, cause I, I feel like so often I grew up with a lot of cookbooks. They were just kind of straight to the point. They get right to the, there's just recipes, nothing else. And when I started seeing people write prose and write like their thoughts or, or kind of delve into the topics, 
it was such a thrill for me. I know that um, Nigella Lawson recently put out a cookbook that had um, quite a bit of prose in it, a lot of a lot of writing about food, and she put it out as an audiobook. And I was so thrilled because it's really rare that there's anything, um, you know, about food that's in an audiobook. It's always mysteries and you know whatever, but like it's never anything about food. And to hear her read that audiobook was just a thrill. Yeah, I think you're really, really right. It's something we talk about a lot at the Bar Market Cookbook Club is that a lot of people do enjoy reading cookbooks in bed. They find them very, very relaxing, very, you know, uh, ex exciting as well. And they, and they can, there's someone like Rachel's work, they can take you away to different places. I can be reading Rachel's book in my you know, tiny London flat and I'm, you know, I feel like I'm with her wandering through the streets of Rome. And so, you know, there are wonderful books like that. Well, I often wonder if people that work with food even think that their topic is is as interesting as we do, because like I, I'm very interested. And so I think that's why so many podcasts, I listen to a lot of food podcasts. And like when you were talking to Sam Wallace about bees, I was on the edge of my seat. It was very thrilling for me. And I, I doubt these people think that there are just bees, you know, no big deal. But I'm like, no, this is really cool. I love listening to this. But I think that's part of the job of the podcaster, as you do on yours as well, is to sort of draw that out that we, you know, we all to a certain degree take what we do for granted. And I think it's the podcaster's job in a way to sort of let the audience kind of take a moment and really appreciate the next podcast we've got coming up for our market is um, a guy called Chamal who runs an organisation called Change Please, which is on one level a copy stand at Borough Market and elsewhere. On another level is really you know, doing a lot of work to help people who are homeless come back into community and have jobs. And oh, that's amazing. And find homes. And when I was talking to him, it's what he does every day. And so he was just like rattling off all these brilliant things he does. It's like, let's just give everyone a second to take it in. You know, the scale, you know, the, he has these, it's, it's, the episode's coming out in a week or so, Dean, so you might enjoy it. Oh, I will listen. It, you know, they, he, they have these uh, buses, like London buses, that go around offering dental services and doctors to homeless people. Because obviously they can't access that kind of facility. And I just find that absolutely extraordinary so yeah I think it's it's our job isn't it when we're you know when you're leading a podcast to help the audience discover the wonder when the person talking about it it's what they do every day I've I really love getting a chance to talk to you and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the new book I want to ask you one last question though if it's applicable it's kind of a cheeky question um what are you cooking for dinner today well crucially not cooking Dean it is 39 degrees celsius in london's day oh we are that is hot we oh, do, wow. do fahrenheit don't you don't yeah, know, yeah. know what that is in fahrenheit but i can tell you it's bloody hot this is record temperatures in the uk yeah so i'm not cooking anything <laughs> so very very simple salad i think of some uh, courgette ribbons maybe some anchovies some nice tomatoes Ooh. a nice and obviously I'll make a lovely vinegar dressing course, to go yes. on it probably sherry vinegar I think nice um, yeah so something quite nice and light and refreshing because it is baking that sounds wonderful Angela I want to thank you for being on the program I really always love to get a chance to talk to you and I I look forward to talking to you again about the new book definitely thank you so much Dean lovely to chat that was my talk with Angela Clutton author of the vinegar cupboard
You can check out her books and her website and the podcast by going to the link in the bio. Tune in next week. We're going to have the wonderful Barry Enderwick on the program. If you've seen his TikTok or Instagram um, series, Sandwiches of History, you've known and enjoyed his work. Um, he also does some reviews of chips from around the world. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to Barry, and he'll be on next week. I also like to mention this podcast is sponsored by the Baria Historians, a group that emphasizes food and culture in the Bay Area. You, uh, if you want to um, contribute to the podcast, you can buy me a cup of coffee or a pint by going to the link in the bio. We also encourage people to share this episode with a friend, let them know about the podcast. We also want to thank Asian Man Records for letting us use their song Talk About Love by the band Kitty Cat Fan Club. You can check out the link to Asian Man Records in the bio. Maybe go and look at some of the bands that they feature on their label and maybe listen to the music, buy some albums, buy some t-shirts or hoodies or bumper stickers, and kind of let everybody know about the label. Hope you all have a really great week and get to have some good times this summer. And I hope you all get to keep on cooking. I've been getting